at the end of the day, I think we need to be making records that feel like we're giving people words to pray that reflect their real lives and aren't just some song of escapism from their real life for 75 minutes on a Sunday. Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Guys, I'm so excited for this episode, which is brought to you by our friends at Life Audio. So I'm so amped to partner with them on all this stuff. It's quite amazing that we have someone that actually believes in the show as much as I do. It's phenomenal. So thank you to Life Audio for making this thing happen. And without further ado, I want to dive into today's episode. My guest today is a worshiper, singer, songwriter, husband, and father. You may know him from his former band, The City Harmonic. And he's now full-fledged into a solo career, which we've seen quite a bit of lately with Matt Hammett, formerly of Sanctus Real, Mike Donahue, formerly of 10th Avenue North. We've just got everybody branching out and doing their own thing, which is super encouraging. But this one's different, so stick around, I promise, guys. He's one of a kind, and I'm amped to have him here with us. Here is Mr. Elias Dummer. Elias, thank you for being here, brother. Hey, Trevor. Thanks for having me, buddy. Glad to be here. Dude, of course. It's like the one question I have is you're back in Canada now, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll dive into because it has nothing to do with politics, unlike <laughs> a lot of people would expect in today's day and age. Oh, but gosh. one question, how is the weather up there? Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Sure. I The summer here, I mean, the last 10 years of Nashville have been really difficult for us in the summers. We're just not built for that kind of heat. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the su- the summers up here are lovely in comparison. So it's you know in in the in the high seventies, low eighties at most. Nice breeze. It's it couldn't be better. Come on, I'm an hour east of Atlanta, and it gets kind of just like an armpit down oh, here. Yeah. And oh, yeah. it does the same in Nashville, but not as humid as the Atlanta area. So what has been the big change for you? Like obviously going back to Canada, it was kind of a rush job. You had six weeks before the kids started school to mm-hmm. just kind of branch on back into Canada. Now, uh, to my understanding, it was to where you had more family surrounding your kids, which is such a smart move. Yeah, that was the main thing was being closer to family. Um, I mean, not to get political at all. We also ran into a bunch of issues with uh, government stuff after COVID yeah. where, so yeah. um, we're, we, everything was legal and above board, but they were just so slow. And so, um, you know, trying to get, for example, a, a green card for my kids and wife would have been possible, but it would have been very, very, very slow at this point. And they've been really, really backed up. And my oldest is like 15. And I was sitting there going, oh my gosh, I don't think I have the heart to tell him that he can't go get a job till he's 17 because of paperwork, you know? So that was, that was family in a very broad sense was just sort of like, I want my family to feel like they can move on with their lives and do whatever's next. And the truth is the various things I do in music and business, it doesn't really change. My location changes very little of it actually. So, so it's great. Yeah. So we're all back in Canada and working on a fixer upper house that we bought up here and come on, trying our best to kind of stay on top of it all. I love it. And your young, your oldest is 15. How old are you? (laughs) I'm 39. 
Dude, I was at least thinking like 29-30-ish. You don't look that at all. Success. It's the Canadian genes running through your body. I mean, Ah. what y'all got? Bieber, Drake, and Elias Dumber. They just put it in the water. They put it in the water. It's that simple. Yeah. As Carrie Underwood would say, there is something in the water. But that's (laughs) that's amazing, dude. So you have family up there. You were born Uh and raised in Canada, correct? Yep, yep. Yep. So you have quite the outstanding um, career path already in Canada. So it wasn't a huge move. But honestly, I can't imagine packing up kids and moving to a different country through a pandemic, for say, right? Oh, so it's crazy. Yeah. That had to be fun. And uh, now you're living in the Leafs, the Leaf country, or whatever you call yeah. it. You got oh, a nice goodness. leaf on well, the flag. I'm, we're big Leafs fans. So come on, which is which is uh, hockey season's going to be a lot of fun, a lot closer <laughs> to home games. It was fun watching them come and beat the Preds every year. But but, you know, they, they I mean, it'll be good to be home. You have to be careful who you say that around, too, especially when you're around Bridgestone Arena. You might get jumped, <laughs> which it's not like a bad area or anything. But those fans are diehard. The Predators they, they're, fans they're are hardcore. Crazy. They're hardcore. But it's good fun. It's a good it it's a good. good vibe over there for sure. It is. And man, you've been out promoting your latest album, The Works Volume 2, and it's quite a cinematic work, as I was explaining beforehand. Um, it's not too surprising coming from the City Harmonic in your past life and the past of your uh, musical history. So I wasn't shocked, but it has a very calm sense to it, if that makes hmm. sense. So when it comes down to The Works Volume 2, what's your elevator pitch and how would you explain it to people? Yeah, um, we came into the work volume to really wanting to make a record which was kind of comfortably bittersweet. Sure. In, in other words, like, and I don't mean a bittersweet and it makes you comfortable. I mean, we were okay with the tension that was going to exist in the record. I mean, and honestly, some of my favorite records in the world function that way. I think of one great example is the Joshua Tree or... Cold plays a rush of blood to the head, or there there are these records that are as they have moments of just you know simple beauty to them, but but there's compl- there's complexity and and certainly emotional complexity and you know social injustice complexity. If I think of the Joshua Tree and and that was kind of all baked in. We were like going, you know what? I want I need to make a record which is a reflection of my real life, and I can think of nothing more. I can't for for myself, this isn't for others, but for myself, I couldn't think of a bigger waste of time and energy than just putting out like a vanilla ice cream worship record or something like that. It couldn't, it couldn't work. And so, so the words that we've been kind of kicking around are kind of stubbornly hopeful. Like I, you know, it's been a couple of crazy years. There's a lot of people who are really angry and hurt in, and you know, myself among them. And so it's one of those things where uh, if we don't, even as worship guys and as, as an artist, I mean, I kind of teeter in and out of congregational versus more kind of listenable, I guess, worship music. Um, but the, at the end of the day, I think we need to be making records that feel like we're giving people words to pray that reflect their real lives and aren't just some song of escapism from their real life for 75 minutes on a Sunday. And, uh, so that's really where this record came from, to be honest. Um, maybe that'll mean no one sings it at church, but that's okay. It'll, it it had to get made. 
Yeah, I don't think that there's going to be like a boundary of people not wanting to sing the songs at church. So rest assured on that. (laughs) It's quite interesting to think about, though, because obviously in 2019, you put out Enough, which is a very congregational song. It sounded like even the music videos in front of a congregation. So what's been your creative journey leading from 2019 to now because they're two totally different sounds which is obviously the same person the same heart but you've been through some things and you've grown and you've learned so what's been the creative escape going from 2019 to 2022 i love that i love that so so it's probably more accurate to say that the work volume one was odd for me than it is that the work volume two is weird for me so in other words like when the city harmonic wrapped up in 2017 and I'm, I'm a, I write a lot. I have a lot of ideas. The truth is I had a, a huge grab bag of ideas that never fit into the city harmonics canon, if you will. And so the volume one was a little bit of scratching all the itches. I never got to scratch, you know, and, and enough was one of those two, just a really on the nose congregational song. My church loved that song and it was just kind of one of those things. Um, but going into volume two, it was a little bit more like, okay, so what was it of what, what in the city harmonic was, has always been true of me now that I've scratched that itch. Is that an itch I need to scratch forever? And it turns out it wasn't. And I was pretty, I was, I was kind of going into volume two going, I think I'm a lot more comfortable making records that sound and feel like I want them to sound and feel than I am scratching these itches or trying too hard to be a certain kind of thing for the church, if you will. Um, and I know that there are, you know, there's something to that and, and there's something to church worship teams being able to kind of create a sound, but I'm a dude, I'm a, just a guy. I'm, I'm, so I've got to, I've got to make records I love and I'm, uh, I've kind of leaned more into that than I did probably on the first time around with my solo stuff. I would agree. And I found it quite strategic on your part that david leonard had his hand in on this because the guy's a legend <laughs> on its own and when i heard it the first time i literally thought in my head i was like i wonder if leonard had anything to do with this because there's similarities in the sound and obviously yeah. with him in the creek it makes a lot of sense so where did you and david get hooked up how involved was he and isn't he a legend would you agree with yeah that? oh i love david we've known him <laughs> for years so david co- really david's involvement in the record was just on see clearly so he nice. he co-wrote the song see clearly with me it was one of those things where i'd had a lot coming in and he had ideas so we got together literally wrote the song in like a couple of hours and then went out for lunch. It was very, and then we came back, recorded a demo, I think, and that was it. And then the demo sort of became the foundation for the rest of the record, the rest of that song. Um, my, my co-producer on the record was Brent Milligan, who is uh, a legend, like a genuine legend in, wow. in terms of like, he w- he played bass on Jesus Freak. He produced almost all of Stephen Curtis Chapman's records. I think he did Colony House uh, David Crowder band, all kinds of stuff. So Brent is, he's played on everything and, and it was just, he became a good friend of mine. And that's one of the things that I'm kind of grateful for practically everybody involved in this record in some way, um, is, is a friend of mine in some way or another. And Sandra, I had just met when we did this, that's, that's kind of the only person, but she was a good friend of Brent's. So it's kind of like, I, I think, on volume one, a lot of it was born of kind of, like I said, doing it myself, getting it done, proving I could. And then volume two was like, all right, I'm, I was a band guy. I loved the creative rub that comes with that, the back and forth and the 
wrestling through what it, what it needs to be and kind of the emotional depth that that creates. Um, and so this time around, it was really just like, let's do cool things with my friends. And David's one of them. We've known Dave, we were label mates for years with David and, and we've known each other for many years. So it was, it was a great example of that. One of the songs that really hit home for me on this record was long story short. And mm. for some reason with me personally, it feels like the more artists I talk to, the more I'm like, hey, the last song on the record was actually my favorite. Uh, most <laughs> recently, um, Maddie Mullins from Memphis Mayfire was on. And I was like, dude, there's something about the last song on all of your records. And they always just hit me. And it's the same for you. So would you mind breaking the song down for us, especially for those who haven't heard the project yet? How would you break down Long Story Short? Okay, so uh, we approach this whole album as an album, which you're not supposed to do anymore, but I don't care. So <laughs> there you go. So we we to- we totally did it, and um, very much thought of you know the layout of the album as an experience, a journey from beginning to end. Um, so it is titled "Long Story Short." Knowingly, uh, it's probably best to understand that as uh the album itself it's not i wouldn't call it a deconstruction record because i wouldn't use that word probably to describe mm-hmm. my life uh but certainly over the last and, and the truth is bulk of this happened 20 years ago but you know there were certainly idiosyncratic beliefs that i wrestled with over the years that that's I, a big word yeah well you know like beliefs that <laughs> that that you're taught in a certain kind of church are definitely christian and then you read a whole bunch of christian history and go well that turns out not to have been the case. And I'm, you know, being told this non-negotiable thing isn't not only non-negotiable, it's not even within Christian history. It's like, you know, 50 years old or something. So you get into that over the years. And so, you know, that weaving into the album and this kind of question of doubt and disappointment and frustration. So long story short, closes the record with this kind of emotional tie down of the tension of the biblical story and our, in my own story and, and the hope and complexity. I mean, the first verse is about Abraham carrying Isaac up the mountain as a metaphor for what Jesus did on the cross. So there's this real, there's layers that are a bit tense to it. And so musically, we really tried to keep that prosody there. Um, that song's my wife's favorite on the record. It's one of my favorites, maybe of all of my whole catalog just because um well there's a moment there's a moment at the near come about two-thirds three-quarters of the way in the song that musically is one of the most satisfying things i've ever been a part of and i don't even get to take credit for it we arranged it somewhat on piano and my good friend jared hashik who actually co-wrote track two on the record uh, is this amazing string arranger everybody uses he's over in australia well because of covid he went and he got on in on this session with like a bunch of players, I think 12 players. And so there's that, that's all real. All the strings on this record are huge and real. And so it's this huge rock opera moment, um, kind of, you know, as at the climax of this song, all about the, the tension and, and beauty of, of the story of the gospel. That's wild. And obviously your art is extensive and your creative genius is super obvious throughout the music. (laughs) Like if you dive into the catalog, you're like, okay, you go from City Harmonic to Elias Dummer. And then now with the works volume two, there is a lot of meat on the bones there. And if you're 
yeah, like if you're open to it, I'd love to dive deeper into your story and hear the overarching story behind you, behind your life, behind sure. Elias Dumber, which I would love to jump into. And since you're open to it, we're going to go through that and so much more right after the break uh, with a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So... Yeah, man. So I, I am from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is sort of, uh, inseparable from our story because Hamilton is a weird city. Um, used to make steel, doesn't make steel. Well, I mean, it still makes steel, but not to the degree it once did like a lot of steel cities. Um, and so now Hamilton's like a cross between Pittsburgh, New Jersey, and Portland. It's like very weird, culturally, very kind of alternative, um, and a lot of poverty everywhere you look. And also this kind of strange affordable living gentrification thing happening. So it's a beautiful city with ugly right up against it all of the time. And that's a interesting place to grow up. And and that was probably kind of my own family story. I'm, I'm, I'm the product of, of divorce. My uh, parents divorced when I was 12 or 13. It got really complicated, you know, with step family and all of that kind of stuff. I have a brother who's has autism and that was kind of part of our story all along. And so, you know, I moved schools, I was in the gifted program and got moved around and all of that. So it's just a lot of hanging out. But in the midst of all of that uh, was this kind of anchoring community I had in my youth group and just really, really deep, deep friendships. And that, that is something I'm really grateful for. Um, with that said, you also get the complexity and we actually kind of, talk about it a little bit in Kyrie Eliason. Um, my youth pastor was a complicated figure. I mean, part of where Zach Bolin from Citizens and I connected and became friends was in, in the fact that even though he was part of Mars Hill with Mark Driscoll and all of this big stuff, there were certain traits of that that were really, really familiar to me, even though I grew up in a small church with no podcast and no video. You know, um, so it's, it's, it was something we, we kind of connected on and, and I guess for me, having someone in my life who called us to more and deeper and better, uh, e even with some kind of toxic traits in there, uh, but always saying, Hey, don't be like me, be like whatever it is of Jesus that you see in me. There was always this sense in which faith was anchored to, Christ in the church more than it was anchored to single personalities and, and that sort of thing. And that drove me in a big way. Um, so Hamilton and my own life kind of in, coalesced in a major way when we, the, because of poverty and because, you know, churches were 
in, in struggling in a sense to reach the community they were part of. Uh, all of these churches started working together and we started this kind of interdenominational missions element for students in the city as well. So this movement called True City, at, at its peak, it was like 35 churches working together missionally. So doing projects together, deciding where to plant churches together, regardless of denomination, like really cool stuff. And, and then we were kind of running this missions thing where students would all come together in the day, go serve all day at one of like 50 different nonprofits or cleaning up needles in the park and stuff like this, which is kind of like we have, a, we have an alley behind our house. Like there's guaranteed to be some addicts in the area on a regular basis. So it's, this is just part of life. Um, and so, so the, where we're doing that and then at night we come together and uh, have this kind of raucous worship night. And the band for that was the city harmonic. So the city harmonic was a worship band that had come out of multiple churches. We didn't go to the same church. And so that's kind of why we ended up with a different sort of sound. Cause we just couldn't, we didn't share a worship culture. We didn't share a church culture. It was like, Hey, we're going to sound like a band making worship songs because that's about the best we can do. We don't, we're not a worship team, you know? And so, so that's kind of what we did. Um, and that of course, you know, drove the next 10 years of our life. My wife, my wife and I got married really young. We have five beautiful kids and we're going on 20 years together and it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So we've, we've had this great, yeah, it's, it, yeah, jam packed. It has been a jam packed life. It's right. And I mean, I, you know, along the way I was lucky enough to have started a business and that's been good. And, um, I think the freedom part of, I think the, I think the freedom to feel creative without being quite as scared, honestly, comes from having a few irons in the fire. Sure. I think when I was at church, when I was on staff at a church full time and, uh, that was our only income as a family, I, I, I made worse choices. I, I I did, there was no sense in which I had the courage and that's just something about me. It's not about church, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have the courage to lead in, in based on what I thought was right more than what was going to keep things going. Yeah. Um, and when you get involved in a church like that, it's like you're saying, it's not specifically the church, but a lot of times there are a lot of people that things have to go through and it's harder to get things done. Um, specifically within the church, it's like, hey, this probably doesn't align with our core values or there's always going to be some opposing force, but there is a different angle to owning your own company. Like it's, it's quite interesting to think about because a lot of people get stuck and not necessarily in church, but in jobs that they hate because Mm -hmm. they're afraid of what could be. So was that something that you had to combat during this journey? I got, I got fired from the church I was at full time. Um, and in get, but it was, it was a, it was a leadership change thing that happened. And, and so I was fallout essentially, or early fallout of that. Um, and then when that happened, a lot of the board members of that church were like, Hey, you've done a ton of marketing stuff, creative stuff, video stuff for us. Uh, and it's been really, really great. We all own companies in the area. And frankly, your work's better than some of the companies we'd hired. Would you start a marketing agency? So I was like, sure. So I turned around and started a marketing agency. That was 15 years ago. Um, and so that's kind of been part of our story. Like the city harmonic record got made because I did a barter deal with the studio. So I, that's surreal. That I did their real. branding and their website. And then we, in exchange for 60 hours of studio time, we self-produced the first EP, including manifesto. And then once the record was done, 
found ourselves in a bidding war with the labels and they just basically took it and remixed it and that was it. How interesting is that? I yeah. own a marketing agency too. So yeah. it's just hilarious because you do barter with people on things. It's like, hey, y'all need this. I need that. Let's go ahead and yeah, do some let's work. let's figure it out. Let's figure yeah, it out. figure it out. And it's the art of negotiation or what would Trump call it? The art of the deal or something. <laughs> and it's always like, there's always a silver lining. No matter where uh, politics or anything comes to play, like you can always have some fun, right? Yeah. Totally. But with owning a marketing agency and being a creative force like you are, how did you find time for music? Was it something like you mentioned before when I was uh, skimming over your name, I was like, I thought it was drummer at first. You're like, that's the only instrument I don't play. So music had to come into your life early on. If you play more than one instrument or self-producing this stuff, a gifted songwriter, and you find time to keep your passion and play with having five kids. It obviously means something to you. Yeah, no, music is really important to me. Um, I, I, grew up playing. My mom was in choir at church and all of that stuff. So I started, you know, I was in youth choir at like five. My parents have this, uh, picture of me in my diapers with those huge, this is the early eighties. So these huge, like can headphones, the big leather ones, the RCA ones or whatever they were, um, that were like, on my head. and I'm, and I'm standing up on the T I'm standing up next to the TV, holding the TV and bobbing up and down to thriller while it's playing on the, on the TV screen. So, so that, that, um, I, I guess I've always loved it. And so I was in bands in high school. Um, and I was in a ska band actually in a ska you know, band. What is that? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what? No, for yeah. real. What is it? Oh, you don't know what a ska band is? <laughs> no. Oh dude. Okay. So, you know, reggae, right? Reggae. Yeah. So ska was the slightly hyper predecessor to reggae. Okay. So, so like, and in, in the nineties, it it had kind of, by the nineties, it had kind of blended coming out of like two-tone stuff in the, in the UK in the eighties with uh, the specials and all of that. Um, by the nineties, it had kind of blended with the punk scene in a pretty heavy way. And so we were kind of part of the like third wave ska thing. And, and it was pretty gritty. Like we were, you know, and like a lot of bands in that world, you start out all teenage and hyper and it's upbeat and it's mostly about goofing around. And then you sort of slow down, the music slows down, you start, there's fewer and fewer distortion pedals on the board and you're, you know, <laughs> sounding a little bit more like sublime as time goes on. But oh, so that wow. was, that was, that was kind of our vibe. It was great. I loved it. But, but yeah, no, I, I quit that in 17 to lead worship at 17, 18 to lead worship. We had been doing all the club scene around. We were the band that opened for people in town. And so, yeah, it's always been a part of my life. I've, I've always played in bands and always made music and, you know, I'm really grateful that I get to continue doing it now. Come on. And for someone that has aspirations to do music and they don't know where to start, they don't know anybody that's in a band, they don't know how to start a band, they don't know the first thing about anything. If you were in that position in 2022, you'd obviously have a lot more resources at your disposal with uh, DistroKid, CD Baby, YouTube, being able to create a social media platform. Where would you start in 2022 if you were to have to start right now from scratch, no name, no past history in music? Yeah. Where would you start? Okay. So, uh this this one's for free. The 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 I'm just kidding. Um 
I would say every artist of every kind, whether that's a visual artist, whether that's a musical artist, whatever, the number one problem, and there have been studies on this actually, but the number one problem that every artist has is not the problem they think they have. They, They think that they just need to write a great song and people will appreciate a great song. And while I would love that to be true, it has not been true in my experience. There are great songs that, and now it's true in the long run. Holy Wedding Day is a city harmonic song that ended up being our biggest song. It took 10 years. It was 10 years before that song was a song everyone knew. And, and you know, it was not a hit at radio. No one wanted to play it. So it didn't work. It was a dud. And then 10 years later, people like it. Well, no one has the patience to wait 10 years. So if you want to make something happen in the short term, the number one problem you have to solve in my experience and expertise, at least, is brand recall. That's it. If people people are infinitely more likely to check out your music if they've heard of you, yeah. if they've ever been recommended to you, it, 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 that is the number one problem, which means that it's not about, do I go distro kid or that? Do I do? It's like, you got to start sharing what you're doing in a way that is consistent and easy to find. So like if I was starting from scratch in 2022, honestly, TikTok and SoundCloud, bro, like it would be really wow. straightforward. It'd be as easy as it can get to. Cause you can, you will make money later, but until, until something scales, there's no money to be made. Streaming as an indie artist who has an audience, streaming is great. I really love streaming. I'm not going to complain about it. Um, we're not making bank at all, but it's that's it's, the first. But it's consistent, you know. I yeah. mean, it's there's I, as an indie artist who owns my masters every month. There's money that comes my way from people listening to it two months ago. That wasn't true before. Royalties were great if you were on the radio but not great if you weren't. And so you were always chasing the hit. It's now way more possible to build an audience, but that audience has to want to come with you. And to want to come with you, they need to be invested in you. And to be invested in you, they need to know who you are. And so the the number one problem you have to solve is brand recall. Yeah. And it's the same thing for podcasts because when I started, it was like, okay, I knew that I wanted it to be uh, like the branding to be larger than life. So we invested in the branding, we invested in the website, the equipment and all of the things. But I was consulted, like before I started, I was like, hey, we're going to be shooting most of this at the time it was Zoom. Now it's a different platform. Should we put this on YouTube? And I consulted with a friend who is a large YouTuber. And he said, no, there's no way to grow on YouTube. And then a year after that, I put it on YouTube and that was the turning point for yeah, everything totally. really shot it off yeah. into what it is today. And it's like, yeah. nobody has a blueprint for success. And that's right. why I was so curious to ask, like you went from the brand awareness with the city harmonic, and that is such a larger than life name going from a band to an indie artist can have its like hit or miss spots. Oh, totally. Some people have been able to do it like super successful, super soon, but you have to have some patience. Just like you're talking about, it took 10 years for that one song to get some traction. Yeah. That is so true for so many people. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, what's that song that was on Stranger Things, uh, Running Up That Hill or something? Oh, yeah. Like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's Canadian, so by the big. way. Just want to point that out. <laughs> just want to point that out. So we've got her, we've got you, we've got Bieber, yep. we've got Drake. Buble. We'll just keep adding on. Buble. There you go. Beyond. Like, uh, who? Oh, Dion. Uh, Celine, Celine Dion. Dion. Yep. Oh, 
But yeah, there's so exactly. many amazing vocalists, including yourself, that came Sean Mendez. Sorry, I'll Sean stop. Sean Mendez. <laughs> You're a boy band freak, huh? I'm just the, kidding. The weekend. But, <laughs> yeah. The weekend. But yeah. so many people are like, man, I want to have a hit and I want to have it now. And yeah. I'm glad, like, we didn't plan any of this out. So I'm glad that we're able to offer indie artists and such a great opportunity to hear from someone who's successfully doing it. Like, when I went to your YouTube and hit on videos, like, 90% of it as of rate lately is YouTube shorts because you're capitalizing on a new platform. Yeah, it's totally. Freaking amazing that you're staying ahead of the game with this stuff. And well, I don't even the- feel ahead of it, honestly. I mean, I think I probably was way too late. It took me a really long time to find on TikTok and reels something that I enjoyed doing. I, I, I love, I'm really nerdy about this stuff. I'm really geeky about well, life in general, I probably overthink and overdig into too many things. And so I think part of the thing was like, I didn't want to just be like singing songs all the time on TikTok. I didn't want to do yeah. that. And so I was like, well, I'm going to talk about the stuff I know. I'm going to talk about the stuff I'm interested in. And that feels like a good jumping on point. And people who understand me and are like, hey, that's who Eli is in real life. Those are people who are going to love the music probably at some point. So that's kind of been my theory again for the brand recall problem. And part of it too, is if I just play a song, it gets a, it reaches a couple thousand people. But like, if I say something related to what I do that really reaches a lot of people, like, and it does those, a higher percentage of those people are going to see my music when time comes around. And so I know it seems really indirect and it's not for everybody. I know that some people want to make their bedroom music and they want the world to find it. But my experience is you've got to help them. And so, you know, one way or another. And now that's what labels are for often is helping people who don't have the wherewithal or resources to do that, um, to do that. But in, in, in my case, I owned a marketing agency. I had a staff. I have teams. I've started several companies, which have all done, done okay, at least. And uh, so it's kind of been this thing of like, well, I really just need to be able to to do this, I know what needs to be done, and we're out doing it, and and I'm doing it in a way that is really genuine and fun, and that's kind of. I know people have a lot of opinions about social media, and frankly, I do, um, but it's 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 just been it's been a journey to figure out how to do it in a way that was earnest, I guess, and I think that's probably part of a stage of life thing. Um, you know, I'm like I said, I'm almost forty, and you do get to a point of like, oh, I I need to be or I need to be honest and earnest and kind of play my cards and that yeah. and not worry about as much whether those cards fit into somebody else's deck of cards so it, it's kind of like you know what I, I i care about what's true i care about what's good i care about jesus i care about what's beautiful in the world and and making the world a more beautiful and christ-like place and this is how i'm going to do it i'm going to be myself through the process and you know if it's not artsy enough for somebody who's really cool that's fine if it's you know, too artsy for somebody else. That's fine. I'm, I'm gonna, I mean, you know, that's, I'm doing me. That's, that's kind of yeah. what it is. And it comes across that way. I don't see your lyric videos. I don't see your cover art and go, Oh, this guy's trying to be like Madonna. Right. I've never right. caught that vibe. Like, right. It's never been that way. So I'd be a very bad Madonna. I think that's why I would too. I would be (laughs) terrible. Like people wouldn't pay to see me dress like that. I can promise you that. Like no. So with all of the new projects and all the songwriting, all the raising the kids, how do you find like with social media? It's so easy to get discouraged. 
it's a passion for you to share your music and you're creating content that is so meaningful. Like if I go to your Instagram, which I'm on right now, scrolling through, it's like you talking and sharing your life. You're sharing what God's doing through your music. You're sharing just things that he shared with you through scripture. And that's part of the job per se. But if things don't hit an algorithm or a song doesn't pop off the way you want it to, how do you keep yourself going? Because it's so easy to get discouraged and back away. And I know that like through all the successes, through all the things in the public eye that are like, wow, a Juno Award, wow, GMA Double Award, like all of these things, it seems successful. But when you strip everything down into the nitty gritty, your father, your husband, your mm -hmm. business owner, multi-entrepreneur, there has to be times of discouragement. Oh, so, totally. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. I mean, yeah. that, that happens very frequently. Um, but I think, too, one of the gifts of having been at this a while, um, which, you know, no one gets to tell their 21-year-old self much of anything. But if I could, it'd be like, hey, there are going to be ups and downs and it's going to be okay. And I don't mean it's going to be okay as in like everything's going to work out. No, you're going to fail at some things and you're, and you likely are failing your way forward. Hopefully it, as long as you're paying attention and learning something from it. And so that's, that's kind of the effort that I'm making. I can't say I do it perfectly. Certainly if you asked my kids, they wouldn't say so. Um, but, but I, but I, you know, I'm certainly trying to, to learn as I go and, and improve and, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I think for a lot of people, uh, nobody thinks of their own life as like fair or good, or they think, Oh, I got, this is the hand I was dealt. And so I'm going to, I'm going to play it as best I can. And I think for me, um, really trying to keep, uh, discipleship and, and, you know, character and, trying to the best of my ability, not always successfully, but trying to the best of my ability to kind of keep uh, the person of Jesus at the center of decisions I make on a day-to-day -day basis um, really drives a lot of that. Um, and, and so to that end, like that's what enough was about initially um, was just this sense of feeling washed up, worried I was done, worried that the city harmonic was going to be the only cool thing I ever do. And, uh, you know, the song was really born of like, well, no, God, I, I find myself in who Jesus is. That's, that's, you know, I find Jesus and in, in return, I get a self made in the image of God, right? Like there's something yeah. to that. So, so I don't know. I, there, there's, there are a lot of dark moments in life. Everybody has them. Um, probably I'm, I'm dealing lately more with disappointment and frustration with, you know, many Christians in church at large, uh, where it's like, man, I, I could win at this, but do I want to, you know, it, that, that's something that's crossed my mind a lot, just sort of knowing where so many people are at and know, and it's just having so many things happen in public that are just so, man, we, it's like, the church has got some real bad PR lately and it's, and it's not about manipulating the story. I mean, like we're just not doing it very well and we're, we're not doing it very well loudly on social media. And it's just this kind of, you know, hurt pain, I guess, and disappointment and frustration and saying, Hey, we're better than this. We're, we're the body of Christ. We're, you know, that, so that bleeds through a lot of what I'm doing right now in church work is just trying to call myself 
and all of us to, a, I guess, a more faithful way. I love that. And where do we start with that? Like oh, if man. <laughs> the church were to ask for Elias Dummer's perspective on where they can shift this bad PR rep, where should they start? Well, I think on some level, uh, if I were to speak, having spent the last decade in the States, if I were to speak to the American church in particular, um, cause it's a different, the world, the world is different as you travel around. Right. And even as we're interconnected, um, I think it isn't always a mistake to think small. And that's actually true in, in marketing too. Like at the end of the day, the most important thing you do is make a connection with a person. Mm-hmm. The most important thing you do in that, in, in your life. And of course, I mean, second to following Jesus and having, having that kind of life with God and in God. I, the the important thing you do is make meaningful relationships with people so that we can rub off on it. That's what discipleship is. We're not just intended to tell people a simple gospel and, and leave them with it. We're intended to do meaningful life together and call each other to a, a more Christ-like way. And that Christ-like way is almost always at least rooted in kindness and at least rooted in that, that practice of love. And and there are other things. There's truth. There's all kinds of other words we could throw around in there too. That's great. But God himself says that it's fundamentally about love. And so if it's fundamentally about love, we need to start there. And that doesn't always look like a big strategic political campaign. That doesn't look like winning at issues. That doesn't look like winning. It looks like treating that person, maybe that gay brother in, in the street, maybe treating him with kindness and goodness and saying, Hey, I love you. And I can be your friend. I can be good to you in the midst of that. I mean, that's, you have the story of, uh, of God's people in captivity in Babylon. And what are they told to do? They're told to marry their daughters off and make families, to plant gardens, to do what is good for the city of Babylon. They're told to do what is good for Babylon. And and yet somehow so many Christians now go around in the world as if their job is to tell Babylon how broken it is all the time. Mm-hmm. But what were the people in Babylon told to do? Make Babylon good by being good to Babylon. And we've we're just not even. Sometimes it just feels like we're not even trying. There are certainly characters not even trying. And so I think I think really at the end of the day, thinking small and going, what does it mean for me to be a kind, loving person? to the people in front of me and around me to the best of my ability. Um, I don't do it perfectly. I don't think anyone does, but at least I feel like we kind of need to correct ourselves away from the grandiose efforts to conquer the world and, and think about our two, our neighbors on each side of us. Man. And it's so easy to let politics and all of the things that divide us get in the way. And it's like, how are we going to make the American church great again? I don't know, <laughs> but I think it starts with us right here. Yeah, uh, That's not a Trump quote, but you know what? I, th- yeah. I think it's funny. So <laughs> like, it's really encouraging to hear from you, Elias. And obviously we want to send everybody to listen to the new record, The Works, Volume 2, which is streaming everywhere. Uh, do you have merch and everything up on a website oh, or dude, anything yeah. right now? If, you, if, if you're on Spotify, you'll see merch there. Or you can go to EliasDumber.com and there's stuff there. Uh, I mean, my name is weird enough. It is my real name and you can find it by that name just about everywhere. There are not very many Elias Dummers in the world. So, um, that's D-U-M-M-E-R. That's, that's the only tricky part. There is no B and I need to point that out. (laughs) 
he does need to point that out. He does need to point it out. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for just tuning in week after week. And Elias, thank you so much for being here. And a special shout out to our friends at Life Audio for putting this episode on. We're forever grateful for you. Thank you so much for believing in the show and being a part of this journey with us. Be sure to go pick up the works volume two wherever you stream your records and if you are struggling mentally or just feel like you're in a rut and need some extra care i just want to point out that there is hope there is love there is compassion there is somebody out there that wants to speak with you and all the resources are going to be as usual in the description below to beneath the skin death to life teen hope line Um, heart support there's so many people out there that would love to take time out and just have a conversation so if you're feeling heavy you're feeling burdened be sure to go check out some of our friends in the description below there's always a reason to live there's always a reason to choose to live we love you guys so much and we'll talk next week bye now The greatest red carpet you'll ever walk is through your front door. We're Dr. Josh and Christy Straub, marriage and leadership coaches and hosts of the Famous at Home podcast. With a realistic, grace-filled look at the struggles families face today, we cover topics designed to help you become a rock star under your roof, set healthy rhythms between work and home, and build a rock-solid marriage. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Famous at Home on your favorite podcast platform. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.